Thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's an epic reading, very popular, very well-known story, David and Goliath. Uh, in verse 11, it says, Saul and all the Israelites were terrified and dismayed, or dismayed and greatly afraid. Can you think of a time when you were terrified and greatly dismayed? Um, I know I can. It was uh, at the end of year 12. Uh, some backstory was that at the end of year 11, while I was selecting my subjects, uh, I'd done maths methods, and my maths teacher said, Kieran, look, mate, you, you, you're a good student, but maths methods isn't for you. Don't, don't do maths in year tw- methods in, in year 12. Uh, my physics teacher, I'd done physics, and uh, he said, Kieran, Kieran, just I, my suggestion for you, if there's one thing you do, don't do physics in year 12. <laughs> so I'm at home, and I'm, I'm selecting my subjects and talking to Dad, and, and Dad's like, Kieran, I, I just, you're more of a humanities guy. Like, I, I recommend you don't do methods or, or, or physics, mate. You just go, go to the humanities. So, so, so being, being a humble, teachable, and receptive young man, I decided to do maths, methods, and physics. Uh, and uh, so by the end of year 12, I was greatly afraid and terrified. Uh, back in those days, you would find out your uni placements uh, in the newspaper. I don't, I don't know if you remember that. And, and I still remember the night uh, as clear as day, gathering around with my mates at Matt's house uh, to find out our uni preferences. And we, and we get to, to Matt Bark and, and his arts at Melbourne University, man, first preference. Yeah, well done, Matt. Uh, Alice Arnott, nursing at, at ACU. Oh, high five, well done. Uh, Stu Harper, architect, um, architecture at, uh, I think it was Swinburne. Mate, he killed it, well done. Steve Brown, arts at Monash, first preference. Emily Boyd Medicine at Melbourne University. Congratulations, well done. All right, Kieran, uh, what were you going for again? Um, I think it was like maybe commerce at Swinburne or something. Okay, let's have a look. Oh, that's weird. Your name's not there. What, what was your second preference? Uh, business at uh, Melbourne University. Oh, okay. What was it? Oh, it's not there. What was your third preference? What was your fourth? What was your fifth, sixth, seventh? Man, Kieran, there is clearly a typo here. Like, I'm so sorry. They've obviously stuffed it up. There's, there, there's been a mistake. Nope. No mistake. I didn't get any of my preferences. I've never been so terrified. I've never been so terrified and dismayed. Everyone got their first preference, and I got none. Now, back then, you could actually change your preferences. They gave you lots of chances. But, but I was so terrified and so dismayed and paralysed with fear that I did absolutely nothing. Buried my head in the sand, blocked my ears, closed my eyes, and just hoped it would all go away. But, of course, it didn't go away. And I didn't get into anything. And I didn't have any idea what to do with myself. I was dismayed and terrified. And, and here's the thing, like, that's going to be disappointing for, for everyone, right? That, that type of experience. But, but if you've staked your entire reputation, and, and if you've staked your entire future, your entire life on getting good results, this is your worst nightmare. This is absolutely devastating. You're not going to just be disappointed and then be able to bounce back. No, you're going to be completely crushed, completely shattered, 
and completely devastated because your whole identity has been invested in that thing. And that's exactly what I was. You see, that's what happened when your identity is based on what you achieve instead of on what you receive. And you see, when when you're feeling overly anxious, often it's because deep down you know that the thing that you're trusting in isn't big enough, isn't strong enough to get you through. You've built your life around something, in my case, my good grades, other than God, and whatever it is that you're building on is going to let you down. And when it lets you down, instead of being disappointed and bouncing back, you're completely shattered. So I want to ask you this morning, who do you trust? What are you building your life around? What's your life built on? Psalm 20 verse 7, David says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So who do you trust? What are you building your life on? Who's your God? What's your salvation? Well, I want you to picture the scene, David and Goliath. Uh, There's a valley. It's about a a kilometre and a half across. And you've got the Israelite army on one side of the valley and you've got the Philistine army on the other side of the valley. Forty days and forty nights, out comes a man, Goliath, and he's huge. Uh, We get a whole paragraph on his outward appearance. Because remember what happened in chapter 16? People look at outward appearance, right? Remember? People look at outward appearance. So we get a whole paragraph on his appearance. Uh, His height is 2.7 metres. That's a metre taller than I am. His armour is 57 kilos. Uh, I know it's rude to ask, but is there anyone here willing to admit they're 57 kilos? No? Well, that's fair enough. Cheryl's doing it shyly up the front. There you go. Imagine carrying Cheryl on your back as your armour. That's his armour. And his words are terrifying in verse 10. I hope you'll keep the story open. He says, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And he does it for 40 days and 40 nights, yelling, taunting, insulting. He's proud, he's arrogant, he's mean, he's abusive. And what did he trust in? His strength, his armour, his weaponry, himself. But the Israelites don't do much better. In verse 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and greatly afraid. So what did the Israelites trust in? Themselves, their armour and their strength and their weapons. You see, this is what happens to us in life. Whatever you put your trust in, if it's not God, it'll either make you proud and arrogant and self-sufficient like Goliath because you did it all by yourself and you came out on top Or it'll make you terrified, depressed and afraid like Saul and the army because you gave it your best shot but you failed. And the interesting thing about this is that you remember the thing about Saul, right? You remember how they described him? He was a head and shoulder taller than everybody else. Saul was a big, strong guy. Saul was a mighty warrior. But as soon as someone else comes along who was bigger and better and stronger, he was terrified and dismayed. Does that that sound familiar at all to you? When, When someone bigger better and stronger comes along. 
terrified and dismayed. Maybe jealous is a better word. You build your life around something and when you do well, it makes you feel so good. But then you kind of like your life, you start looking down on other people. Why can't they get up to my standard? And you might even do this in a religious way. Because let's be honest, you're the best and you, you know how to do it. And you don't know why anyone else can be as good as it, at it as you are. But when you don't do well, when you don't meet your standards or someone else comes along that's better than you are, you get jealous or angry or anxious, threatened. So whenever you build your life around something that's not God, it'll either make you arrogant and proud like Goliath or or afraid and terrified like Saul. Either way, always competing, always looking over your shoulder, always comparing, and your life is like living on the end of a yo-yo. You're up when you meet your standard, feeling great, or you're absolutely down and devastated when you don't because you're shattered. Either way, your identity is wrapped up in what you achieve and you're relying on your own strength. Well, the most striking thing about Goliath that we notice in the story is that he's big, but the most striking thing about David is that he's small. Remember, the, the, when it says the youngest, uh, it actually in the Hebrew is literally the smallest And there's this change of scene from verse 11 uh, in the battlefield to uh, the sheep field in verse 12. And that's where we meet this little boy, David. Verse 14 says, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David's just a little kid running errands for his dad and, and for his brothers. But when he, gets, when he gets to the battlefield, this giant Goliath steps out and shouted his usually def, usual defiance and David heard it. And in verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Then in verse 28, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and asked, Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, I don't have time to go through all of his insults, but it's not very nice, right? I mean, it's kind of harsh. And, And you've got to remember, David was the youngest of eight brothers and Eliab was the oldest David's just a little shepherd boy running some errands and, and Eliab is a mighty warrior soldier surrounded by his mates who are also soldiers and he just has torn him to shreds in front of all of his mates. Now, if I were David, I'd be devastated. Absolutely devastated. I mean, but he's not. He bounces back. He, he keeps going. He, he's not torn apart. I mean, how is that even possible after your oldest brother tears you completely to shreds in front of all of his soldier mates on the battlefield? How is that possible? Could it be because even though he was the youngest and the smallest, even though he was a nobody from nowhere, completely overlooked, that no one thought was worthy, that he was actually chosen by the living God of the universe, that he was anointed by God. 
and that the mighty power of the Spirit of the Lord had poured out upon him. And because his identity was so wrapped up in who God was and who God said he was, that he was the beloved chosen one of God, that all of the lies and all of the insults of everyone else were just like water off a duck's back. Because his identity was wrapped up in God and who he said he was. Which is actually just as well, because the next person David meets is King Saul. And King Saul's not all that much better, because after David tells Saul that he'll take on Goliath, Saul's like, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. So, so again, he's being attacked. David, you've got to be kidding. Is this some kind of joke? I'm sorry, David, but you're not able. Goliath is 50 times bigger than you are, and he's 100 times more experienced as a warrior. I'm sorry, David, but you're not able. I can just imagine David thinking, ah, I'm not able, but I know the one who is able. And that's the one that you're all forgetting about. Verse 34, he says, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see? David could see something, someone that nobody else could see. Not only had God delivered the Israelites back in Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh single-handedly by himself, but God had rescued David from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. So he says, when this Philistine comes along yelling and shouting and screaming and cursing, I know exactly how God deals with this kind of person and I know exactly how God deals with me. God promised to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And what's this giant doing? What's this Goliath doing? He's cursing God and he's cursing God's people. And God says, those who curse you, I will curse. David's identity is not built on what he sees. He's not walking by sight. He's walking by faith. He's built his identity and his trust on God and his word, which everyone else in the story has completely forgotten, and so they're terrified. So who do you trust in? In the heat of battle, when the pressure's on, what's your shield? Where do you take refuge? Some trust in chariots. Some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, friends, it's easy to say that we get this stuff up here, but it's much harder to get it down here as a living reality for the heat of battle. It's easy for us to say that we believe this stuff in here, but out there Monday to Saturday, does our heart rest in him and take refuge in him? Tim Keller says, the gospel, if it is really believed, removes neediness. 
the need to be constantly respected, appreciated and well regarded, the need to have everything in your life go well, the need to have power over others. All of these great deep needs continue to control you only because the concept of the glorious God delighting in you with all his being is just that, a concept and nothing more. Our hearts don't believe it. And that's why we run away scared and dismayed and terrified or become jealous or shattered or angry. But David's not like that. David gets it. Saul, however, Saul's struggling because he's like, okay, 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 okay. So you could take on Goliath, but at least take my armor. You take my armor. You can see what he trusts in still. And David's like, well, I can't go in these. He tries them on and they don't work. It's almost like Saul is hedging his bets. He's like, yeah, 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 God, God, but, but you know, just back up, just to back up with armour, you know. Don't, don't we do that sometimes, hedging our bets? Like, yeah, I know, I know God's going to take care of me, but, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just get the career, the bank account, the reputation. I can have it, I can, I can do both, you know, just in case God doesn't come through. You see, Saul's not building his life around his God. He's building his life around his armour, and that's why he's so terrified, because right now his armour can't help him. His armour's not big enough and strong enough to save him and to look after him, to keep him secure, significant and safe. But then in Psalm 28, verse 7, David says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart trusts in him. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. This is heartfelt trust and rest in the living God who is with him and who loves him. Deep down in the fibre of his being, he knows that God loves him and will take care of him no matter what. But here's Saul's version of Psalm 28, verse 7. My shield is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in it but it won't help me. My heart is terrified and I run away screaming. That's how it is for, that's how it is for Saul. So David takes off his armour he just grabs the five smooth stones and a sling and he approaches Goliath. And when Goliath sees him, he's like, am I a dog that you come at with me with sticks? And then Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you all into our hands. And you know how the story goes. He throws it, sinks into his forehead, falls down. It's exactly how he said. He took Goliath's sword, the thing that he trusted in, the thing that was his strength, and he cut his head off with it. It's a bit like what Jesus said. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. A sword can't save. Only God can save. This thing that Goliath built his life around was the death of him. 
And then you get this ultimate turnaround and reversal at the end of the story in verse 41. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel, can you hear them? Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shuraim road to Gath and Ekron. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. God is jealous for his people. God is jealous for his people. How, that's how much he loves them. That's how much he'll protect them. The Israelites have gone from running scared at the start to actually running down their enemies at the end. And in the next bit, in chapter 18, you might remember when it's all done, when the soldiers are coming back into the towns, the people are singing and dancing and shouting. They can't believe it, what the Lord has done. They've gone from terrified and dismayed to singing and dancing and shouting because of the victory of the Messiah on their behalf. It's a great story. And I think in response, I want to ask you to do two things to think about. Firstly, trade in your armour, whatever it is that you're, you're trusting in for your significance, your status, your security, your salvation. Trade in your armour and trust in him. It might be your job or your family, your kids turning out right, your bank account, your status, your parenting, your good works, being such a great Christian, your spirituality, I don't know what it is. Usually, whenever it's gone, though, you feel completely naked without that armour on. You feel completely dismayed and terrified. It's a thing that makes you feel up on top like a yo-yo or down the bottom, devastated. Trade it in. Don't put your trust and your hope in that because it can't save you. Did, Did you notice in the story how David's victory against Goliath, actually became the people's victory? Even though they didn't lift a finger to deserve it, they did absolutely nothing. They didn't lift a stone. David did all the work. And in fact, as long as they thought it was up to them to win, how were they feeling? Dismayed and terrified because they couldn't do it. But as soon as they realised that David had done it all, and they, could, they couldn't contain themselves. They were overjoyed. They were singing and dancing that the Messiah had accomplished their salvation for them. You see, that's the difference between an identity that is achieved and an identity that is received by grace. As long as you have to achieve it on your own, it's hard work. It's a treadmill and it's exhausting and it's driven by fear of failure. And desire to prove yourself. You're up and then you're down. You're up and you're down. It's salvation by works. And it's completely exhausting and often terrifying. But as soon as you realize it's something that you can receive as a gift that somebody else has done for you in your stead as your champion, you can rest and relax And rejoice and sing and dance because Jesus has done it all. He's all your security. He's all your salvation. He's all your significance and status that you'll ever need. The eyes of the glorious king beaming on you and delighting in you. I mean, what could be better? Your strength and your shield. As soon as you realize that, 
You see, faith is transferring your trust from your own strength, your sword, your spear, your javelin, whatever that is for you, and putting it into the hands of the one who did it all for you, Christ, on your behalf. And resting in that, rejoicing in that. You see, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory over Satan, sin and death has become our victory, and we didn't lift a finger to achieve it. If we put our trust in him, but as long as we think that we're on our own, that no one's out there looking out for us, loving us, giving us that security, that status, that significance, we'll be running scared. Our hearts will have be anxious and afraid because we don't believe it in our hearts. But as soon as we realize the job is done, it is finished and it's all been done for us, we can dance and sing and celebrate because it's not something that you achieve, it's something that you receive by faith and oh that the spirit of God would write this truth on our hearts so that we can say with David in Psalm 28 verse 7 my heart trusts in him he helps me my heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him wouldn't it be great to have that lightness of spirit and that joy oh that God would make it a living powerful and beautiful reality in our hearts Jesus is the true and better David because he beat an even bigger enemy, not Goliath, Satan's sin and death. And he rose victorious over the grave. And so it says in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give you all things? We can rest in him and his love for us because he has much better armor, better and stronger It's based on his performance and not on yours. It gives you all the security you need, all the significance that you need, all the satisfaction that you need by grace and not by works so that no one can boast. So let me invite you, friends. Trade in your armour and trust in Jesus. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. May he write it on our hearts by his spirit today. Amen. Amen.